So you're saying Jenkins is a demon. And Je- so yeah, Jenkins okay. is a demon. Uh, well, he's, a he's demon sort of a, a demon. Butler. He's kind of a demon wrangler. Mm. He's he's actually he sort of summons demons on oh, your behalf, like a demon okay. shepherd. A demon shepherd. Yeah, it's like a pyramid scheme of just demons summoning. It's just demons all Jenkins the way down. at the top. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 191 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games program. I'm Adam and I am yet again wondering if this episode number is prime. I'm Sam and I was thinking this episode number is a palindrome. <laughs> it is a palindrome, that's true. <laughs> but is it a primindrome? Primindrome. Mm. This is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is February 18, 20, uh, grind teen. Mm-hmm. I did not have time to come up with a fancy date name because we're busy right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything could happen on this show. There's going to be profanity. So if you uh, have some kind of, you know, deal with that, mm. then you can scoot. <laughs> is, uh, scoot out is, out. Is anti-fanity a thing? I mean, if you can be. This is a, this is a profanity show. Right. Okay. So if you're, <laughs> if you're anti-fanity. You can yeah. just get out of here. You're not okay can, you, can you just have straight up fanity? Is this kind of like a whelmed situation? Mm-hmm. Fanity is just. Fanity? Is that that's just words? a word. That's just Vanity. words. No, but it has to be a bad word, right? If it, if you can be if pro the no that no makes it. if you're pro fanity, that just means you're cool with all the words. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, yeah. maybe uh, not though. No, no maybe not. It's not quite accurate. No. Anyway, a lot of them are still real bad. Right? Uh, we would. That's true. <laughs> We're not, no, into, wholesome we're not into kind of profanity in here. Yeah, we're you know into I mean? wholesome profanity. Yeah. It's not so much wholesome as it is nonviolent. It's just fucking awesome. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's just great. It's we're, just great. We're into fucking great profanity. Yeah. It's just the good kind. Uh, we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters <laughs> over at moneygrab.bscotch.net, whose monthly pledges keep our pods casting. So thank you very much, you guys. Uh, let's talk about elves. Elves? So, I have a story. Okay. Saturday night, lay down in bed with uh-huh. my wife, and every time her head hit, hits the pillow, she just has questions. Okay, it's like uh, when you say so, she's she, her head's hitting the pillow. Like is she is really diving? Like, I or? throw her so hard at the pillow. She's, she's like, what? Every time, and then she has a thought. It seems yeah. like a fair question. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, we, so we lay down uh, and we start chatting a little bit, and then uh, we were talking about something about you know looking however old you are. And I made some thing. I was like, oh well, you're you're basically ageless. You're like an elf. And she's her response is elves aren't ageless. And I said, Yes, they are. They're immortal. And of course I'm because thinking, of they drink from the moon well. Exactly. So I'm thinking all of the elves that I ever think of immortal. And I was like, What elf <laughs> is not is old looking to you? And she's like, the Keebler elf. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you're not wrong. She's but, pretty up on the Keebler lore you know, of like the Keebler universe. I never considered Keebler elves as part of the canon of elves generally, you know? Yeah. But they are old. They're, well, they're wood elves. You know, they're tree elves. Mm-hmm. Are they old? There's the, the one of them has white hair. It's true. Well, he, it's, might just, he might be a, like a, an elf wizard. So he just has kind of Gandalf looking. Mm, it's, the magic it's also thread. possible that the Keeblers infuse the magic of their souls into the, the cookies into the packaged cookies that uh-huh. they produce mm-hmm. yeah that's probably it uh and so of course that's how they age normally they, they normally would uh, not age wouldn't, but they have to you know they, they have, have to flavor give up. these somehow so the reason the you can't is, just simply make a cookie that that's that good no right? Right. Some, some <laughs> of your soul has to go into it so well this is true just for for people too like if you're if you're baking some delicious baked oh, shit i brought cookies in this morning <laughs> yeah the more soul you put in there the more delicious it is mm. 
but also the faster you age. Faster you age, but I think it's just you. We as as mortal beings that don't have real magical properties are not really good at transferring our souls into things. Right. And so I think just the amount of soul transference that you can generate Mm -hmm. on kind of a per cookie basis is pretty low. But do you also just generate soul? You know, kind of like day, like in a mobile sort of game, passive. like a day by day, a certain amount of yeah, soul. I think, I think when you take a nap or something like that, probably you get mm-hmm. a little bit. But I do think or that when you when you cuddle an animal, yep, yeah, that happens. Yeah, I thought yep. you said cut real quick. I was like, whoa, <laughs> when you when you cut, when you sacrifice an animal, that's also true. <laughs> I think the downside of this though is that is that as humans, maybe elves can do this. I don't know, but mm-hmm. as humans, we can't we can't get the soul back out. You know, like the elves mm-hmm. put it in there. And we oh, eat it, and we're like, "That's tasty," but then we don't get. Mm, but we can with human. We souls, actually though. age faster when we eat. So maybe the, maybe the human soul economy, like the reason that it works, is because of the fact that we can consume the souls of our of our fellow humans. And mm. so, sure, when you you put some of your soul into a cookie, right? Uh-huh. That's fine. But then, but then, if you eat somebody else's cookie, then you're going to get a little bit of soul back. Is this right? why mass manufactured products tend to taste less good? They're just yeah. soulless. Yep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They have to be because they're being made by machines. There can't be any yeah. soul put in there, right? right? And they also don't replenish your own soul when you eat them. Whoa. You know, I think this is also why if you, you know, people running like if you're if you're a person running a bake shop, right? And like the more it grows, and the more and the more you have to start committing to it, the more of your soul you're losing. But you're not getting that much soul back, right? Because machines you know? making cookies, they they're not putting any soul in there. No. But so if you're doing this all with human human labor, putting just all this love mm-hmm. and soul in there. Then this is why running a business makes you die faster, on average. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel that because you put because <laughs> you put out more soul than you could possibly get back. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, well, unless you stop doing that. Yeah. Well, this is why we had you to stop install... putting soul into your business. That's when you get all the stock options. And Speaking all of the other shit, Activision. Let's Blizzard. talk about Act- <laughs> let's talk about ActiBliz, Stingway. Uh which people are now calling Activision Blizzard, which is actually Activision Blizzard King. In like a three part. Everybody just, just, just ignores that last like, one. Don't act yeah. like the mobile part people exists. don't necessarily feel comfortable about the fact that Call of Duty is coming from the same corporate entity that makes Candy Crush, mm-hmm. but it's there. It's mm-hmm. in there. Um, also, the corporate entity that makes Lucio O's, the Overwatch brand cereal, <laughs> yeah. uh, that you get free loot boxes. But you've heard, and if we, you think we're joking, <laughs> we are not joking. The real hundred percent exists. I saw in the grocery yep. store. Yeah, brought a picture. So last week, I think on Monday or Tuesday. After we after we did the podcast, Activision Blizzard came out with their earnings call, their quarterly earnings call, and they were like, great news, everybody. Record year. We have made the most money, the most profit, everything that we've ever has ever happened in the history of our 30, whatever, 40 years mm-hmm. of existence. And everybody's like, yay. And then they were like, also, we're firing 8% of our workforce to celebrate. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so the, the optics are bad on this. And there's been a lot of conversation about what this means. Mm. And I think I'm on the fence about it because here's what happened. They, as a, as a company, wanted to invest in esports and like all of these right. sort of like, you know, they're, they were trying to ride the new trends of like what's happening with Twitch and all this other stuff. And, and you see, you see uh, companies like Riot throwing these huge mm-hmm. hundred thousand person tournaments and stuff like that with giant prize pools and, um, and Activision Blizzard was trying to get on that, like trying to ride that hype train with, with their own games. Um, but Overwatch is now a couple years old, a few years old, and that, that hype train is dying down. Well, it really, um, I mean, it had its moment in the sun before like, Fortnite and all yeah. that. 
Yeah. Kind of happens. And I mean, so, it's like a big player base. But. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was, you know, when you're operating on their scale, when they have like 10,000 people, well, they did in their company. Right. Um, now they got more <laughs> like 9,000. Um, you, any, any kinds of initiatives like this, it's not just like, oh, let's have, you know, let's just grab Susan and have right. her take care of esports. No, it's yep. like you need a you need a thousand person division to start up an initiative like that, and as well as you need a huge volume of uh, customer support staff for your games and stuff. And so, if and the better your games are doing, the more customer support staff you need. But that's that scales exactly linearly, right? Yeah. And then once the game reaches goes past its peak, it you don't need that customer support staff anymore because you don't have as many players. Yep. Um, and so the, the same thing is actually true for web infrastructure, right? It's just that. And it used to be the case that you would then have a whole bunch of like during peak times of of usage of your of your stuff, then people couldn't connect anymore because like they didn't make enough hardware to to support all that because the cost is really high and they knew it wouldn't get used forever. Yeah. And then at some point it starts to decline and then they have all this spare hardware laying around that's not even being it's used. It's the perennial problem. And then such yeah. and this was the dawn of cloud computing where you could just basically rent space whenever the fuck you want. Yeah. But, but it you turns can't out do that with people. There's no cloud people. Nope. And so not yet. Yeah, and so basically, what happened <laughs> I was guess there is Uber. That's cloud people. That's cloud people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is no cloud people in this scenario. There's Correct. just regular people who are not made of clouds. Uh, and so as as sort of these games started declining and some of these other things stopped panning out, yes, like the company as a whole made a lot more money mm-hmm. off of all the other stuff that they were doing, but those things that they had scaled up for didn't go yeah, individually. Probably weren't yeah. so. This well, is a, yeah, that might have been in the that might have been despite the losses they were taking on all these other dimensions, right? And so th- this is a, a real optics problem in the sense that, like, yes, they maybe they didn't need uh, all the, like maybe they had they tried a bunch of stuff that didn't work out, like a lot of businesses do, mm-hmm. and at a certain point they have to be like, okay, we can't really sustain this, right? It's just weird to time it with the timing is bad. Yeah. the The optics are not good. They probably could have paced it out, <laughs> uh, spread it out somehow. <laughs> And this this happened, I think, back in like 2012 or 2013. Um, uh, I think shortly after WoW started declining a bit, then there was a big layoff in, in mm-hmm. Blizzard as well. Um, and you know these these things happen with these giant giant uh, AAA <laughs> studios. So there's a, been a lot of outcry about how this was handled and and just the kind of there's that that feeling of maybe betrayal from the people who who were working at the company see this earnings call. It's like, it's our best year ever. Yeah. And, and these people are thinking like, I was part of that. Like yep. I helped to, mm-hmm. I was working at this company during their best year ever. And then to be let go, it means there's no coming back. Yeah. Like if you, if you get let go from a company that's having a hard Down-swing. time, yeah. then that's why, that's why you were let go. Right. And so, uh, there, there's always that chance of like, if it's a company you loved working for or whatever, that if things start, like picking up again, then maybe and, it's, you, and it feels a, a little job. less personal, right? It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't feel like, but yeah. But if if they basically just said, yeah, we're doing great, but also we don't want you here. Also, you need to leave. Yeah, yeah. It's got really it's got hard. a very different vibe. Yeah. So this this yeah. kind of comes back. But to this those... is all in the context too of like they just brought in a new CFO who they gave like fifteen million dollars in, in in stock options, some combination of stock and, and money, yeah. uh, and their CEO just for paid, accepting the job, just for like, accepting the yeah. job. Who gets yeah. paid also a lot, um, and uh, and so this is of course it's like it's like eight hundred people versus these like giant these giant salaries that are being paid out to these uh, 
to these you know C-suite level people. Um, and and the idea here, of course, is like, well, we have to save money because of how we think the future is going to look. So while we're on the one hand paying out fifteen million dollars to this guy, we need to fire eight hundred people mm-hmm. who are who are not likely because they weren't developers; they were people doing customer support and that kind of stuff. These are probably actually some of the lower paid people in the company too. Yeah, if they were if they were more on like the support side of things, yeah, they, less on the yeah, tech side, they're not going to be paid like a, an engineer. Yep. So. Yeah, and you know, at a at a hundred thousand salary, you could pay one hundred and fifty people with with fifteen million dollars. Yeah, um, instead, right? So like, that's a pretty it's a pretty big disparity. <laughs> yeah. So these are the kinds of things that get people talking about unions, uh, yeah. <laughs> all, uh, stuff, yeah. all that all that kind of stuff. So we'll kind of see what the what the fallout is from this whole thing, if if any. It might just be just another thing that happened. You know, yeah, but I think an important thing just to always remember when these things happen is that is that publicly traded companies are not and cannot be your friend. Right. No matter how much you love the stuff that they well, make. Unless you're a shareholder. Then they're your Unless you're a shareholder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, they're, but they're only your friend in that specific context. If right. you're if you're also a user of the thing that they make, they're, they're not your friend in that context. They're only the friend right. – you're, they're only your friend in one dimension, which is you as a shareholder. Yeah, I think, I think the best framing of it is that is that the purchasers of the product are not the customers. The customer is the shareholder. Correct. You know, because mm-hmm. the the goal, this this solely stated goal of a publicly traded company is to maximize the wealth of its shareholders. Yep. And just buy whatever means is available to that company. Yeah. And if you're if you are a you know Activision Blizzard, then your means is well, we have expertise in game development. So that's what we're going to do to maximize shareholder wealth. Yep. But if that also means making cereal and doing esports and doing all kinds of other and stuff. And loot boxes. And loot and like, yeah, making basically online casinos, then we're going to do that too because yep. that makes money and that's, you know, that's the point. So uh, it's just the kind of thing that you would exactly expect to happen given that that's how it yeah. works. So uh, anyways, we'll kind of, we'll kind of maybe track that and we'll talk about it more next week yeah. if anything else comes down. Um, we also have... <laughs> Something else <laughs> happened, which is On Tuesday. Mario Maker Two just uh, or, uh, suddenly appeared, mm-hmm. and then we got a lot of questions from I don't know, like five people from the podcast questions and a bunch of people in the chat being like Discord, Reddit, everywhere, just being like, and, so, so what are you guys now? Gonna, what, what does that yeah, mean? So we're gonna talk about that. Um, we'll right. say first that we thought we had, we thought we had until the end of the year before this would happen. I feel like it had all this kind of felt like it had to be coming soon because it just did too well. On it's Wii a great U. game. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. we we believed it was coming to the Switch, definitely. Yeah. But but we really thought it was going to be like, like an August or December December or release or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I and mean, we had no basis for this. It just seemed it just seemed like that was what was going to happen. Yeah. So we're, we got a bunch of questions about that. So we can just kind of like hit those questions hit and questions. we'll just talk about we'll talk about it. So uh, oh, the first thing we should say is are, is just what we're even talking about, which is that Mario Maker Two is now coming to Switch, it's announced come, for June. Yeah, June. And the reason that is interesting for us, <laughs> uh, is because level head is is essentially a sort of a equivalent genre of game as a maker, maker it's a maker game yep and it is also of course we don't have the mario ip uh and then on top of that the community that we are hoping to leverage to launch level head really effectively is the mario maker community or was a mario maker community and so there's a big question like okay what is shit because now these people who've been waiting for a long time who we were going to fill the gap for um, there's Super Mario Maker that's just gonna fill the gap. So, yep. What does this mean? So, uh, do the questions first. Uh, these questions come from <laughs> podcast.bscotch.net. First question comes from Zoo Slap Wumpy Whippy, who says, <laughs> "Hello, longtime listener, first time asker. 
With the announcement of Mario Maker 2, how does this impact Levelhead's development? Does it add more pressure, or do you think Levelhead is sufficiently independent enough to carve out its own niche? I'm really interested to know how devs react when a high-profile game in the same genre is announced. Love the podcast and all the lovely work you guys are doing. P.S. As a full-time dev, it is hilarious and amazing to hear you guys discover the magical world of DevOps. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so for us, it was basically – we never hoped to compete with – yeah. Well, anybody really. Um, and, and we've always felt that if you're trying to directly compete with another popular game, you're already it's a losing problem. You're already losing, right? Because they have an entrenched, established uh, user base and all that stuff. You have to be there, you have to somehow blow that thing just absolutely away along every possible dimension to cause people to migrate from the game that they're already in into the one that you have yeah. put up. And so there have to be a, there has to be the right combination of circumstances to to do that. And look, we talked about last week something like Apex Legends, which is doing great mm-hmm. um, against Fortnite. Although I think Fortnite still has like uh, it's still doing fine. Like 90% of its original <laughs> player base and and there's no guarantee that those people won't just go right back to Fortnite in the in the longer run. Um so people tend to get entrenched into certain games as their hobby and they're just in there now. And so uh, part of our strategy was things like, well, we're not going to be on only the Wii U, for example, um, because Mario Maker is inherently attached to Nintendo hardware. And they've been very firm about their stance of not bringing their full games literally anywhere else. Yeah. So it's not coming. It's not going to arrive on PC. So one of the one of the ways as a business that you can sort of. Uh, get around this competitive problem is to just be where the other thing isn't. Yep. yep. Right? <laughs> so, so we're still safe in that domain. Yeah. I'm so not worried about that. Yeah. Either. And the plan, the plan with Levelhead was uh, PC, Mac, iOS, Android, and Switch. Mm-hmm. So obviously, this may put a, a kink into our Switch plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in all the other domains, we may be able to find an audience that otherwise wouldn't really have even considered getting involved in this kind yeah, of Yeah, I game. mean, I, I guarantee you, like after seeing, you know, Kerbal Space Program, Besieged, like all these games that are about building stuff uh, and that exist on PC, on PC, there's got to be a, you there's know, a, a, Mar- a Mario Maker-esque crowd who has never gotten to play that sort of game because they haven't owned the hardware yeah. or even who does but wants something different. So Levelhead is, uh, like we said, it's, it's actually very very different in feel from how Super Mario plays for one. And then also just the sheer insanity of the, all of the stuff we put in it because we're not bound to any IP actually Uh, as terrible as that is for launching a product. It's great for just making whatever you want. And so uh, we've got all sorts of just zany stuff that does not appear in a platforming context and there as well as a lot more complex like switch systems and some other interesting things like that. So the game differentiates enough along those dimensions that, that it's not like we're, that I think there's there's definitely room for both to exist, essentially. It's going to play differently. It's going to feel very different. It's going to yeah. look different, you know. Um, but, but, yeah, I think that's not the real problem. No. You know, the real problem is, is actually almost never the game itself. The problem is the circumstances surrounding the game and the attention economy surrounding the game. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the thing that we are uh, sort of grappling with right now. Yeah, so dev has shifted, I guess is the easiest way to put it, according to – yeah. <laughs> question. Um, it has shifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of how we responded, there was a lot of just kind of staring. Did a lot of window staring. A lot of window day. staring while we were all thinking about well, all right, what so, this meant. And then a lot of very long discussions. So last week, I told a story, a space story about mm-hmm. how about we Brian. got how we space got space Brian. About Space Brian and how we got attacked by a larger fleet and were completely outgunned and we had no ships left. 
and our only option was we had to collapse the wormhole. Right? <laughs> we had to find a we had to find a way to get around. Yeah, there was no way to win. It was a way. There was to, no way to win by taking this head on. So yeah. we had to find a back door, yeah. right? And so that's what we spent last week. We were looking doing. for the worm. We we're looking for the way to to roll the wormhole. To hole. roll the wormhole. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we, I think we're on track for this. I think we figured. Um, and and we have no official announcements because <laughs> we got to keep things under wraps. But yeah. and the reason for that is is just from a from a general PR standpoint, um, it tends to be a better idea to purposely launch your news <laughs> as opposed to just, <laughs> just blur it, it out randomly. randomly. Um, yeah. Yeah, dev has, has changed. We've been prioritizing different things. Uh, and, and really what it comes down to is we were hoping to just get the game into a point where, uh, I mean, similar to Crashlands, where Crashlands was basically as good as we thought we could get it, period, before it actually came out. Um, something like this situation uh, has sort of forced us to, to basically recalibrate all of the billion Trello cards we have and try to figure out, okay, you know, how do we how do we handle what's happening and somehow get this synced up in a way that we can, like, you know, get it into the hands of players. Yeah. And, and our, we were thinking that, you know, based on what we had left to do, you know, a launch of Levelhead sometime toward like the end of the year, basically. Um, that was like the original thinking on, on all of it. Now, if we, if we launch after Mario Maker, we may end up with some, some troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to figure out what our strategy is going to be and how to, how to get this game into people's hands much, much faster than we originally thought. Yep. Um, Which in the end is, you know, it's a good for all the people who want to play Levelhead. Um, It'll be fun for us too. I'm tired of not having a new game out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we were all for a while. We were all kind of like just very concerned about what this meant, and then we uh, we started to move into the excitement territory. Um, we're gonna be and we're gonna be working a lot. Um, I mean, we already were, but we're gonna be adding, <laughs> we're gonna be adding on to that. Yep. Uh, to try to 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 get these puzzle pieces to land. Um, because yeah, things things are are. It used to be the case that we were just kind of sitting on our our uh, our tail from Crashlands, just being like, "We're fine. We can sitting on our tail," meaning the financial the tail. financial tail, yes. not like some weird uh, <laughs> channel <laughs> <and> tail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we were just kind of we were just kind of, and we were still working. We're, we've been working very hard. It's just that that hasn't been in the context of also making sure that we kept the game super tightly scoped. That, that the, no the goal was box. not to get it out as fast as possible or anything like that. Because we didn't need, we don't need to financially. Um, but now we do need to mm-hmm. financially. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's talk about why the timing of that matters so much. much. Yeah. So it's it's essentially it's the the attention economy surrounding yeah. these kinds of games. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> our plan was not to was not to like we weren't planning on releasing, for example, on Switch in June. Like there was not going to be a head to head situation. Yeah. There. And if we were, we wouldn't be anymore. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the, the question there becomes like, okay, so why, you know, why would this be a problem if this game is relocated to a different platform entirely? Right. Because you're yeah. not actually competing head to head. So the answer is because we are competing when it comes to the attention of press outlets, when it comes to the attention of YouTubers, and when it comes to the attention of the community that already exists around the previous iteration. Especially that group. Especially that group, who, again, um, in most of our strategy discussions up until this point, have been sort of the core thing that we – because we know that they exist and that they're hungry for a new game. And so the whole thing was like, okay, cool. As long we as, will be that new game. Yeah, we'll be that new game. And and you know we've already talked to some YouTubers, which we mentioned before, who were very interested in it. And so it's like, okay, um, if – if Mario Maker 2 is out and we try to come out like around the same time or even maybe within like three to four months because it's still going to be fiery, um, there is 
They're all they're all going to be making videos yeah, on that. No chance at hell that you're going to come out. And be like, won't, yeah. They won't take a chance on something else because exactly. they've already got they've already got the thing. And exactly. their and their existing user base is now already playing Mario Maker. Like they're already playing yeah. the new game. Yeah. And so and it's an important thing to to just bear in mind too, as you know, other developers listening to this. It isn't actually even if we truly thought that our game was better. Yeah. Even if that was true, and even if everybody else thought so too, it still wouldn't matter because we're we're going up against an entrenched opponent on the platform that they own. And, and it's and it's freaking Mario. And it's yeah. Mario. And, <laughs> yeah. and and all the attention has already moved towards that because people are no longer looking for something else, yep. right? Um, and now so, they're waiting for Super Mario Maker Two. Exactly. So yeah. yeah. So that's the wrinkle. So what we have basically is a is a timer where there's mm-hmm. a, a as far as we can tell based on the strategy we've seen in the past uh, coming from Nintendo is. They're they're gonna they're gonna just launch the thing. Mm-hmm. And there's not gonna be so we basically have like a lull. We have a quiet time where we still might be able to squeeze. Yeah, because they, they don't tend to do early stuff with uh, YouTubers and stuff like that. Yeah, there's so, not a lot of early preview kinds yeah. of things. Um, but maybe so, they who knows? That's the thing. Like they've been taking better advantage of all these systems too. And, yeah, including continued dev. And so we're like, well, shit. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, a lot of our of our. Obvious advantages are are just no longer as obvious as they were because yeah. um, Nintendo has stopped being that sort of monolithic entity that spits out a game after three years of development and then just changes nothing ever again, walks away. Uh, they they still mostly do that, um, but not completely. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know. We don't know if they're going to do basically live ops on this game when it comes out because if because if they don't, then now we have back we're back in our advantage in terms of content because now we can actually adapt to whatever they do. Um, but if they, but if they're adapting to what we're adapting to, yeah. then it's, we're not going to, and realistically, gonna, and realistically, they're not going to do anything relevant related to what we're doing. Right? right. And so it'd just be us like trying to, yeah, trying to be, make sure that we're covering the gaps that they leave open or whatever. Um, but if they're not leaving them open. Yeah. So, I mean, ideally, ideally we don't compete with them. Yeah. That's the goal. Um, <laughs> cause and, we can't. And so that, that leaves us with a very limited set of options mm-hmm. and, the, and that we have to do very quickly. Yep. So um, we'll be we'll talk about that some more next week. Yeah. So all I can say is I packed a lunch and dinner today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be working eight to nine. Yep. I I told my wife I was like, all right, we're back. We've had some nice calm times for the past mm-hmm. year, basically. Yeah, um, those times are over. It's, we're just expect me to be. We've got some catching up. Generally, <laughs> <laughs> generally working mostly. Yeah. Um. So again, no, nothing official to say about it other than that we are trying to move faster now with some changes in our trajectory. Um, I'd also like to thank uh, some other people who asked questions about this. Calm Zippa, Aid Sand, uh, Dupe Vu Tap Danger. <laughs> That's a good one, man. And Itty Mumble Jotort, uh, <laughs> who all essentially asked this, uh, you know, what are you guys going to do about this mm-hmm. kind of a thing? So uh, yeah, that's where it's that. fun. I'm excited now. I mean, I think the the first hour or so, I was just like, well, shit, 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 shit. And then, yeah, once you start talking about it, yeah. it's, it's moved into it's, just being excited. Because being, I mean, being the underdog in scenarios is always kind of fun anyways. Oh, yeah. And that's sort of where we've lived. I mean, every, I think our podcast listeners know that we haven't actually won an award, like a first place award ever. <laughs> we've always gotten runner up or like third place. <laughs> yes. We have our wall of, we have our little area in, in the office where at the top of our bookshelf, we've got just like all of our second place. And we, it's like the, the trophy case of second place. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, we're used to it. Yeah. But also we get to, even though Nintendo is not going to give a fuck about what we're doing, we, we get to feel like we're taking on Nintendo. That's true. Which they is, probably don't even know that we, yeah. <laughs> that's the best part about it. Yeah. They're like, who? It's like yeah. that Star-Lord. Star-Lord, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Who? 
anyway, but we get right. to feel like it, which is just yeah. cool. So like, we get to feel we get to feel like we're playing in the big leagues. Yeah, yeah. But we're, yeah this yeah. is like it's like maybe we're just gonna like we're really we're just watching the game and we're just gonna maybe catch a foul ball in the stands and yeah. that's kind of mm-hmm. we're like I'm I'm part of it. <laughs> uh, anyways, so we'll see where that goes. Now let's get on to questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscash.net. First question comes from Astro Beef. That's good also. Astro beef. That would actually not be very good beef because it's super dried out. Well, actually, it's mostly because of the microgravity situation, you know? So then it would probably be really tender. Oh, you're thinking the beef was originated in Astro beef? I'm thinking it's grown in a space lab. Okay. So it's probably super tender. I was just thinking about beef that was put in space. You just just put it in there? You put it in there and then it gets a little dry. Sort of like. Sort of like. Maybe space there's some beef jerky. in that Tesla Roadster that's like out in space yeah. right now. So there's like some yeah. beef jerky. Well, think about, that. I mean, without the pressure of gravity, your beef would be quite tender because the muscles would just never be flexed, you know? But they also wouldn't really have any muscles. Yeah, because you don't need any well, muscles. Well, no, it's grown point. in a lab. So, oh, you know, the lab one. Yeah. 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 Okay. But if it's grown in a lab, you could also just be growing underwater. Underwater is basically in microgravity. So that comes out mm. the same. That's true. You'd grow it in a sous vide. Yeah. You can call it microgravity even though there's no gravity. There I think, is. I think it's because there's just enough that physicists were like, there's some fucking gravity there. There's Guys, always gravity. Please. Yeah. It's one of those like – This is – we had to just appease the, the hairs. Appease the yeah. physicists. Yep. It's, it's microgravity. Can. It's so small you literally can't perceive it. But <laughs> it is it's, it's irrelevant to your day-to-day life, but mm-hmm. it, it, it's just always there. Yeah. Well, and actually there is gravity. It's just that you are inside of a thing that's traveling at 17,000 kilometers an hour. And because you're going the same speed as it, you just aren't experiencing the gravity. You're falling, but you're also mm-hmm. flying around. Actually, yeah, is microgravity just for the case where you're actually experiencing gravity and just cheating? Or is microgravity when you're just when – when you're outside of the range of a strong gravitational pull? I'm actually not sure. What I don't know. If you're just floating in space, if you're like, you know. Yeah, because like there is the gravity. thing is you're still falling. There I mean, is gravity. Yeah, I mean, you I just know, can't tell. You're just not happening. experiencing. Well, yeah, so maybe no that's pull. what it is. Maybe it's maybe microgravity is when you're under the influence of gravity, but can't tell that that's what's happening. Maybe that's what it is. So it's like gumbo gravity. You're like, I don't know. Yeah, because they don't want to say that there's no gravity because there's always because there is yeah. gravity. Yeah, because you're always, always we, being pulled towards something. <laughs> I'm glad you know? we cleared that up. Yeah, that was a real problem. I'm, yeah. I think we. Well, it is funny when you when you look at these like really these like really low gravity things. So remember that when the they put some little probe on a comet. I think maybe the mm. Japanese did it or something. And that probe had a like it had a hopping thing that it would do, where it would just shoot out a little tiny jet that would make it. It would give it almost no thrust whatsoever. But that was sufficient. I hear what they they said it like it goes like a mile up, and then it went like a whole mile back up down. and came back down because <laughs> the amount of gravity involved was so low. But it was just enough that it was still attracted mm-hmm. to it, right? And it'd be careful it, not to do a very very slightly stronger pulse. Yeah, because then, then it's just gone now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but it was I can't really, it was but the the slowness was hilarious. It was something like the speed it came up was like an inch per. <laughs> so second or something slowly yeah. drifts up it just like a mile. Yeah, it takes, takes like, like a whole two mile. days yeah it just <laughs> it's weird yeah once you get it i was actually thinking about this the other day because i was pouring myself a cup of coffee and i was like i wonder if you poured a cup of coffee on the moon because it would just take longer you know for the mm, for the, the liquid to pour, to pour out yeah. and you'd just be like yeah what does it look like you would just take a while moon. you know like if you wanted to pour your cereal you like right now, the speed at which it falls out of the the milk falls out of the thing. Well, probably what you do is you just it would come out at like a quarter speed, basically, and it would splash a lot more, right? Because like, yeah, because the droplets gravity is what keeps that from happening. Yeah. Probably what you do is you get a wider mouth on the pitcher, right? So you pour a wider river into it as opposed to like because we all we have like the really skinny mouthed. 
pitchers and yeah, stuff. Yeah, because we're trying to slow stuff. But you down. also have slow to move everything slower. So like, for example, if you're carrying a pitcher, you know, the gravity is keeping the liquid in there. Mm-hmm. And if you like move it in a certain way, you you know, on Earth, you're accustomed to how the liquid moves, right? So it's not going to slosh and spill out. But if you're in, on the moon, which is what, like a quarter, I think it's like a quarter or right? something or is a it, sixth. It's, I think it's, yeah, it's a sixth, it's sixth a, even. Yeah, it's very small. Yeah. yeah. So that means like if you slosh just a little bit, then all of a sudden the liquid just like bloop and it would just kind of like fly out in a big <laughs> and then, blob. And then slowly, and then slowly, <laughs> slowly just splot, splish onto the floor, you know? Honestly, I think it would the, be only reason, annoying the only reason I'd ever want to go to to the moon or to Mars, sure as fuck not to live there, Yeah, but to go there on a, on a trip if that ever mm-hmm. becomes a feasible thing in the future, would be just so I could play with liquids. Yep. Just splash just some see, and like jump around. Like I, <laughs> those two things, I think, would be so interesting and fun. But yeah. I would, I would have loved it if like we sent people to the moon, right? And then they're they're on the shitty, uh, you know, radio connection and stuff. And then you know, NASA's like, ground control's like, tell, tell us what's going on. What's it like? And they were all like, honestly, you guys, it's fucking annoying up here. Like, <laughs> it's the gravity thing. It is really annoying being here. Everything is slow. It's hard to pour my cereal. I think we should just call this whole thing off. But this is not worth it. Anyway, Astro Beef asks, as a novice game developer, I haven't fully figured out my design values. And I don't know when I'm doing something that is objectively bad, like using bright blue and red colors together, mm-hmm. which I'm glad that you've got that one figured it's out. very good, yeah. Uh, how do you know when your design is bad and when your design is just different? Do you think that it's important to make a set of design values like moral values? Hmm. I know uh, there are some studios that have, or for individual game, whatever else to do, design pillars is the idea, right? I mean, we we do this with, we've done this with Crashlands in the past when it was getting kind of unwieldy. We actually haven't done it with Levelhead. It's sort of just in there, probably. Yeah. Um, but basically what you do is you you define what the, you know, with, with regard to the overall purpose of the game. So say you're making like a top-down hack and slash game or something like that. Um, that's been made a billion times. And so the question is, what what are the core sort of ideas that go into your version of it that make it an interesting mix of ideas. And so if you're, if you're say you have like four pillars, if all of them are basically the exact same ones you would see in every other top down hack and slash, then you're not making a game that could really, well, frankly do anything new or probably be of much interest. So usually again, you, then you're just competing directly. Yeah, you never want to compete directly. And so, uh, so in that case it'd be, what was the game I saw? Uh, Book of Demons. Which I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it's a, it's a Diablo esque game, but it's well, everything is like paper based, so or like cardboard cutouts. Hmm. Yes, and then you have a deck of cards, and you also, when you enter into the dungeon, you basically go along a, like a track through the dungeon. So you don't actually fully explore it and stuff like that. You just kind of go through this uh, almost like an amusement park sort of thing, and then you're reacting, playing these cards, and doing all stuff. So they took you know again an existing genre like the hack and slash thing, and then said, okay, what if we converted the fighting aspect into this card system to change that up, and then you know put this weird uh, sort of aesthetic on it, which this cardboard cutout thing. So when it comes to the overall designs, you can like the, the, the values you pick can become these sort of touchstones where if you have a question later on, we're like, Oh, well we want to do this new thing. Um, you can sort of run it through basically this think about it like a heuristic. It's just a shortcut for making these design decisions a little bit better and keeping things consistent. Because right. if, for example, uh, you're making a hack and slash and it's all about like, you know, being super gory and serious and like medieval, which is what a lot of them are. Um, then if you if someone had an idea like oh what if we had like in uh, in the case of Diablo three what if we had a uh, land that you could show up in that was like all cute with unicorns and ponies and gummy bears and all this other stuff depending on your approach if you said okay this game is 
at least not self-serious enough to allow something like that for fun, knows it's a game, essentially, yeah. then that's a thing you could do. If you said, no, actually, this world is very tight. It's like more like a Lord of the Rings-style thing where it's, you know, it exists in its own entity and sort of thing. So you can use these to, to make a, a, a shortcut decision on. I think the, the difference between something being bad and something being different is just if you watch someone play it and they're not having the desired good time. Yeah, well, this this is an ego problem. Yeah, which is that you need to be able to remove yourself from the game and and ask the question: If I was, if somebody handed this thing to me that I have just made, Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody handed me this game and asked me what I thought, how would I feel about it? Mm -hmm. You know, if their main menu is Comic Sans, uh, bright yellow on bright pink, and then like hot, like mass, a maximum blue buttons with maximum red text on them. And you're looking at this and you're thinking, no professional game studio I have ever seen would ever consider not e- not only like putting this out, but even putting these colors together, right? right? Yeah, uh, not even in a prototype. Not even in a prototype because even the prototype has to be tolerable, right? right? <laughs> um, and so – so you need to be able to remove your yourself from it and like, disregard the fact that you made it and try to ask that question of like, how would I feel if somebody showed this to me fresh? Yeah, and know? I think well, I mean, it kind of reminds me of uh, – you'll see some people who just continuously draw bad, right? Where they, they have <laughs> – they're just, they're just drawing poorly and they always hide behind this thing of like, oh, it's just my – it's my style. Yeah. And it's like, well, your style – is just it just sucks. I, I don't know how it's fit. <laughs> and it's weird that you're thinking you just that have you, refused to improve and yes, learn. And the, and, the, and the, again, the the value is not in the difference. The value is in the quality. So like, if it's good, it will be good. It'll be obviously good. Um, if like everybody if it, everybody keeps saying like, I don't, this is not this doesn't look good at all. Yeah, you know, or or when they're playing it, if they're like, I I'm not really into it. I mean, think about uh, the Obra Din game that just came out the lucas pope one okay it's about being a like an insurance collector who's going to check out this ship this ghost ship basically that came back oh that one yeah yeah yeah. and you're sort of trying to piece together as like a detective how all these people died on the ship to be able to really the at the end of the day i think it's about getting your insurance claims figured out for this boat right, right? which is hilarious and the whole mechanic is you get this death watch that you can use to like see how the last moment when someone died that's like so you just go around and you piece together this big logic puzzle now, there's like a bunch of different ways to execute that, but the reality is that Lucas Pope in particular, like that's a very different game than anything I've ever seen, than anything I've, I think has ever existed. Yeah. But it's really fucking good because at the end of the day, it uses all of the game foundational principles really effectively to drive the player engagement, right? So I think that's always a question. Like if it's – if you if you're hiding behind the fact that your game is just different, usually – like It's bad. It's usually well, to, bad. To me, it's like the word <clears> – <throat> I had a college professor who would g- immediately give you an F if you used the word interesting in mm. any of your papers. He's like, interesting means nothing. It's you are not you are hiding behind this word, uh, which literally just means I thought about it. Right. It is of interest. Right. Uh, you haven't actually done any thought on saying, like, is it good? Is it bad? Yeah. Uh, does it mean anything bigger? Does it make like, judgments? Yeah. On, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so. So your game being interesting or having an interesting premise or be or mm-hmm. being unique or being different, um, it might just be you hiding behind your insecurities, you know, <laughs> right. and 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 not acknowledging that you might need to shore up some aspects. Yeah. I think the, honestly, the best thing to do is just get people to play it. And if well, they I play it, it doesn't work. That, I mean, that, that's a completely fine thing to do for the thing that you're already making. But when it comes mm. to how do I just become a better designer and how do I how do I do a better job of thinking about this stuff? Mm. 
that requires a whole bunch of just study. Because the thing is, you you have a gut intuition because you've been out in the world experiencing things about what is good or bad. But it is harder to tell that with the stuff that you're making because of all the all of the emotional baggage that goes along with making your own stuff, right? Um, so I think you can do is go play people's jam games, mm-hmm. which sort of have to be bad by definition because people didn't have the time mm-hmm. and most of them don't have the skill, right? To like put together something amazing, right? Um, and, and again, even if people do have the skill, you don't have the time. So there's, there's right. only so much you can do in a jam game. And if you just play a bunch of jam games and there are infinity of them on, on itch, uh, and just study it, like actually treat it like a, like a homework exercise where you just ask like, what is, what is, how is this working? How is this working? Like, well, how does this make me feel and why? Like what aspects of this are working? What aspects are not? Uh, because it'll be a very rich vein of huge diversity of, uh, even within a single product of things that feel mm-hmm. really good and things that feel really bad. Uh, you'll be able to learn a lot from that. And especially if we then go and do the same exercise with published titles that people sort of universally love. Because mm-hmm. we, we made a big deal about, uh, uh, what's that? What's that game that doesn't look great at all? Play the Spire. There's that one. And there's another one. There's a, there's a few of them that we've talked Rim about. Rimworld. Rimworld, World, right? Yeah. That we talked about a fair bit, uh-huh. mostly because of this whole apparent contradiction between an aesthetic that isn't and – it, it's not bad exactly, but it's not stellar. It's not polished. Well, it's I mean, not, it honestly, though, polished, but right? if you look at Rimworld or, or Slay the Spire, um, they, they don't – they still have a sense of things like color palette. It's coherent. It's coherent yeah. and yeah, it's, it's coherent consistent. consistent. Yeah. yeah. And it conveys itself effectively and well, and they aren't they aren't violating any of the like fundamental rules of of design in terms of like how you portray visually. The art is just not doing work for them. Is basically the way. Yeah, the art is not selling the game. Yeah, exactly. But it's not. But the game can then still do really well because it's not also not hurting the game. Yeah. Right. And and so I think, but that's sort of an. It's just interesting that when it comes down to this question of like your skill versus your awareness of what is good. Mm And all this kind of stuff. Um, there are still ways around all of it where you don't have to be a stellar artist. You don't have to study art. That doesn't have to be the mechanism that you use to make better products, right? You can also just learn better designs so that you, you better understand how to fit the kind of stuff that you can make into a Whatever coherent aesthetic that people will actually enjoy and, right. and accept. Yes. So there's a, there's a great Ira Glass quote about having taste. Yep. You know this one? Yeah. yeah I, I'd recommend looking this up. Um, where essentially he talks about this problem where when you first start creating things and you get into that because you believe that you have good taste, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, you, maybe you think you know what goes into a good game and you've been playing games your whole life and you, you always have ideas about how they could have done things better or whatever. And so then you go start to make your own stuff and you have the taste, but you don't have the skill to execute on mm. it. And there's this really uncomfortable long period at the beginning where it is a long period, a long time. It was like five years long, mm-hmm. you know, where you're, you're trying to get your, your ability to execute in line with your expectations about what's actually good. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think, I think if you genuinely can't tell what's good, then that's a skill you need to work on. Cause that's yeah. the first criteria. Right. Um, so, so in that case, it amounts to like going and playing really successful games and doing a lot of study on them and figuring mm-hmm. out like, why do people like this, mm-hmm. you know, and learning about the principles of design and, and visual design and sound design and all that stuff. Um, so that would be, if you're, if you're at that point, then that's where you would need to yeah. start. And that's actually a fast phase. I think that's, that's the important note is like, it's, you can rapidly acquire taste, I think. Um, yeah. I, you cannot rapidly acquire the skills, which is sort of no. – that's the difference between – like the reason why it's it's much easier to – for example, for 
I mean, even fans of games to go on on Twitter or even write a review that is actually extremely on point, right? Where they're able to like, this game doesn't work because these seven reasons that I as just a person who's playing it can see. Yeah. <laughs> um, versus being able to actually go in and now take those reasons, convert them into like designer notes and use them effectively to propagate. Right. Well, it's good good because any, any, yeah, any change uh, is now happening in a context. Yeah. And so it doesn't get to happen in isolation. Exactly. And the consequences of that change, the thing is even, even valid criticisms may become sort of invalidated by what would happen if you actually acted yeah. on it, right? Oh, yeah. Um, where there, there are certain changes you could say, well, yes, we could make that. And yes, that would make this aspect of the thing better. But the consequences the context, to, to right. some other part of the game is then actually a net negative, and that's why we chose yeah. not to do it. And we've talked about it in the past, those those slippery slopes of changes where yeah. every change exists in a in a context. Mm-hmm. You change one you you fix one problem, and that problem might have actually been making the game better in a whole bunch of other ways. Yeah. And so people just had to kind of deal with it, and it, that's okay, actually, mm-hmm. you know. Um so yeah, I mean that's there's a whole bunch of layers to it. So but yeah, it's just all about doing that research and then doing the legwork and figuring out where where your games stand relative to other stuff. Yep. As and everything else, there are no shortcuts. That's right. Unfortunately. You just got to do the work. Yep. All right. Next question comes from O-X-D-O-D-E-C-A-D-O, who said, <laughs> which I think is hex code yeah. for something. Hopefully. Hopefully not something bad. bad. So, well, if that, if so. Is it like four word, four letters? How many characters was it? Uh, I don't know. I, after the zero. As a person, I can't perceive anything larger than seven. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's larger than seven. Okay, fair enough. Uh, who says, do you think Butterscotch Shenanigans will finally get a Wikipedia page after the release of Level <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, we can't make one anyways against Wikipedia rules. I don't know. I don't measure my worth by Wikipedia measures. Yeah, I'd say at this you know. point, when you factor in pirates and everything else, I think we've had something like 15 million people play our games. Yeah, I'm fine. And at that I'm point, good. if not a single one of them considered spinning up a Wikipedia page for us. <laughs> yeah. I think we're done. I think I think that's it. But as we also learned, almost all Wiki, Wikipedia pages are written by one dude. That's true. We and just so, got to call that guy. Yeah, he just hasn't played <laughs> our games yet, I think. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it is a fair question, though, which is who, who actually Who's doing writes this? Wikipedia articles, right? Uh, who Who is it that like sits down and they, and they have an experience of some sort and they think, I wonder if this thing is a question. has I, a Wikipedia I've, page and then they go look and then if it doesn't, they make one. There's got to be... Some that has to be like the tiniest sliver of the human population. Well, it's, that, it's that guy. Well, there's like because there's yeah. a lot of things that I'm into, but I have never ever contributed to a Wikipedia. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. You look at Wikipedia and you're like, oh, well, I guess that's what's there. I, I actually think I might have yeah. submitted one edit when I was in grad school. Ooh, bold. I think so because there was a there was a thing that was about some topic I was studying, and I found a Wikipedia article while I was like looking into it, and I was like, oh, this is not right. And so, but like that's the only thing I've ever done was that one. One like one line edit. So maybe this could be, you know, some kind of a grassroots thing that our our, <laughs> our podcast, our podcast listeners, listeners can get started. Well, yeah, it's actually maybe funny just, too because maybe just making the page doesn't have to be anything. But it's in a, it. it's a funny question to ask, right? Because this person could have instead of asking the question gone just, and just made, just made it. <laughs> they're like, no, I'm not. Doing it does that. take. It takes <laughs> Do you think somebody so. else who is not me, obviously, is going to go? You're not, the supposed, to, and make you're not supposed to make your own pages, right? Like that's against the rules yeah. somehow or another. I'm not, I don't want to make my own Wikipedia page. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that, that undercuts it somehow. Uh, so, you know, maybe Go do it. Although honestly, <laughs> I kind of hope, kind of hope it doesn't happen. Cause I, it's like the wall of second places, you know, it's like, <laughs> for me, it's just a, it's a hilarious point of pride. I don't yeah. know why it's just, it's a funny thing. 
Well, it's, like fun. You, <laughs> it's fun to constantly be pointing out all the ways in which no one gives a shit about yeah. what we're doing. It like, keeps you humble. It really you know? does. Cause like yeah. we've been working on Levelhead for a year, right? And like all of us think it's so fucking good, but no one else has seen it really. Yeah. And so, and then you put out a trailer, like our one that came out uh, for Switch in September, and it got like 25,000 views, which is by far, in a way, way more than like Crashlands ever got when it was in a similar Before stage of development. Mm-hmm. But there were also like 12 other trailers that came out that day. And one of them, I think, was like a Kirby game. Got like 300,000 views. Yeah, so yeah. we're just like, no. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> Fair. So, Fair point, Kirby. Yeah. Well played. <laughs> it's uh, That Kirby day game did look pretty fun. It does look really fun. Yeah, of course. It's, it's a Kirby game. Yeah, what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't know. It's fun. I don't know why people like being super into how good they are also. You know? I mean- I like I like, like constantly it. being reminded that nobody gives a shit. It's just it's a good, very good. I shouldn't say nobody. Very few people, because yeah. <laughs> uh, the people who do care care a lot, mm-hmm. and that also means a lot. But it's good to just be reminded of how small. Yeah, we got we have our little pocket, you know, and it's a very little pocket in terms of like tiny pocket of the of the World Wide Web. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next question comes from Natty Splines. If the money grab grabs all the money. Would you consider becoming <laughs> professional podcasters instead of game devs? It'd be a lot easier to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> it would. But also, I don't know what the fuck we would talk about every day. Maybe yeah. you stick on the one-week schedule. What would we do what for would the other you, seven days do? of the week? Yeah, I guess it depends on what that means. Does, does it mean we, could, we just have to spin up a whole bunch of new podcasts? I guess we, that, I mean, we can answer a lot more questions. But uh, yeah, but we, but we now have less of a right to answer them because we're not doing the work anymore. So, I don't think yeah, never just, stopped anybody before. <laughs> <laughs> I guess our less of a right, less of a capability of answering them. Yeah, I mean, how many like film critics do you know who are also directors? You know what I mean? Zero. Yeah. Also, I don't know any of either of those categories. I, don't know of I think <laughs> it, is, zero. <laughs> it is very cool if you can hit a point where you just get paid to be alive. Like you just get like that's essentially what that is to me. Which is like you're a person, you do things. Come talk about those things that you're doing. I don't know. I mean, I think. I enjoy doing the podcast because of the fact that we don't actually have to do that much work around the podcast, That's true. right? Because like yeah. if we all of a sudden had to be going out there and marketing this, I don't know how the fuck you would do that. I mean, clearly. I mean, clearly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we need to we go launch out. games to market our podcast. Yeah, That's how we think about it. Yeah. We think about the podcast as it's not a, it's not a product. It's like a fan service thing mm-hmm. where people who are interested in what we're doing, it allows us to, to continually engage with our community in a scheduled way that's very personal, um, but that, that's, that this isn't the point of it. The, right. like, the point of our studio isn't the podcast. It's the games. Um, and the podcast is just a fun extra layer that we get to do. So, but yeah, that was, that was kind of my reaction when I saw this question was, was I feel like if we stopped making games, then I wouldn't feel like I would have the right to do this. Yep. You know? I just don't know what I'd talk about. I guess whatever yeah. else we're doing. Because it's, like, it's not like I'm just going to be, yeah. It's not like we're just going to be laying around for the other. I mean, I would, but. Maybe, yeah. Maybe if I, if I wasn't making a game, I don't know what the fuck I would do. What would I do? I guess you'd yeah. be podcasting. I guess I'd be podcasting. Yeah. About, something. maybe, maybe I'd start up a Space Adventures podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your Adventures with Space Brian. Yeah. Space, me and Space Brian would start up our own podcast. <laughs> uh, all right. Next question comes from Bam182. You've been talking about your DevOps pipeline for a few weeks. Can you go into more specifics? Are you using GitLab, Jenkins, GitLab Runners? What kind of stuff have you automated aside from deploying new game builds? What's GitLab and Jenkins? You know, Jenkins, that's the guy who you pay to come in and do your DevOps for mm, you. Yeah, he's a, he's just a, a 
a British butler. Mm-hmm. Um, he just comes in, he pushes a bunch of buttons. DevOps butler. DevOps butler. Do you know um, two things are Adam? I do, but okay. <laughs> but we're uh, <laughs> but we're not going to go. We don't need to go. Into we're that. not going to go into details. Mm-hmm. Uh, what so I will say more high level. What have high what other level we done? Um, high level. So for the web stuff, I've got a full like auto deployment thing, but it's all being done through through Amazon and Amazon uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services has some really nifty little services, including a thing called Code Build, which is a lot like a Jenkins like thing. Um, what does that even mean? What does uh, that? It basically like means the- like it's just it's just a <laughs> it's just a machine that you basically give it a list of instructions and you say when you receive this information. Do, do these steps, cool. do these tests to make sure that the steps completed successfully. And then when you're done, put the product over here and over here just happens to be on the internet where now you So you're saying Jenkins is a demon. And Jen- so yeah, Jenkins okay. is a demon. A, well, he's, a he's demon sort of a, a demon. Butler. He's kind of a demon wrangler. Mm. He's, he's actually, he sort of summons demons on oh, your behalf. Like a okay. demon shepherd. A demon shepherd. Yeah. It's like a pyramid scheme of just demon summoning. It's just demons all Jenkins the way down. at the top. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, so we, so we, we're not doing anything uh, that's sort of that typical, I guess. Mm. Um, but it's also – it's in the end not very different from what other people are doing. Uh, it's just like the details. Well, there's there's also the, uh, the philosophy of DevOps about like making the work visible. You know, yeah. So you can see all the pieces that are going in and mm-hmm. make better decisions about them. So we're also doing some work with things like telemetry and yeah, know, and Yeah, which has been really exciting. We got that – because one of the big things is we wanted to – I think when we watched the – I think it was the Overwatch, the Overwatch one year anniversary documentary video. thing. Yeah, they showed this war room they had for yeah. the day one launch. Like, like monitors sh- and laptops up everywhere. Yeah, they had this, this world map. And then as soon as they hit the launch buttons, the game is available now, you could see the whole thing just like, boom, like people logging in from yep. all over the place into the game. And it's been a dream of ours with since Levelhead does have that online stuff going on to be able to actually somehow see see people logging people in. People logging like in, world. like how act like just kind of one from the interest part. But then two, from the actual dev side, just being able to see, oh, did, did something bad just happen or is something yeah. taking too long to do? Yeah, we want to see things like, you know, a world map that shows little pings where every time somebody publishes a level, mm-hmm. you know, we see a little flash see popping up mm-hmm. on the world map. So we got that. We got the basics of that hooked up. Yeah. Last week. So, yeah. So last week I put together an elk stack, mm-hmm. which stands for. So everything in web tech is just some fucking stack or another because so a stack is just a collection of technologies. It's a pile it's, of different yeah. Well, and, and, and the idea is like things kind of go through it in a, in a particular direction, you yeah. know. So they call it a stack because like things kind of move up it should or be down a pipe, or whatever. But okay, yeah, I think a pipe would probably be better. Elk pipe. Um, but so so <laughs> when, you, when you're doing and it's it's because like web dev is a very weird fragmented thing where any kind of particular kind of problem that you're gonna that you want to solve is typically solved by some big open source project that's completely different from the other problems and other solutions that you have. And so in order to basically make a full website, you need a full stack of different technologies, right? right? Where where one technology is serving up your web pages, another technology is making is managing your API and another technology is handling Storing telemetry data. and like and whatever. And then and then there's one for your database and so on. Uh, and it's basically because there's not just like there's not just one sort of software product that just does all the things mm-hmm. that you need. Is why you, if you meet someone who does web dev, your first question should always be, "What kind?" Yeah, web dev doesn't really mean anything. They might just be like, "Well, I mean, I used Wix once, <laughs> right?" The yeah. Wix stack. It's a very small no, stack. Wix stack. It's <laughs> Actually, stack there, there are. Paper. Yeah, that's true. There are some stacks, I guess, like like uh, Wix or Squarespace, or WordPress, or Square or Squarespace. Um, that kind of are all in one in terms of you as a developer experience it. The reality there actually is that they they themselves they have, are, a, have a stack, abstracted away, yeah. but you get to kind of abstract it away and ignore you it. You just get to look at the top of the stack, yeah, which is Wix, right? So 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 last so Elk is Elasticsearch, Logstash, and Kibana. 
Yeah. Log stash. Log stash. Like well, a, I mean, where are you going to put your logs? <laughs> yeah. You put them in a stash. Oh, I was thinking about a mustache situation. Yeah. Made of logs. I think their logo <laughs> might be mustache related. It better 100%. be. Log stash. Uh, <laughs> but this is, this is really cool tech. Uh, mostly so that that last piece, the Cabana piece, is basically just a front end for making charts, which mm. – Sounds boring when you say it that way, but it's hard and shit to do on the web. It's it was in any context. It's <laughs> yeah. very very hard to make to make just to easily make charts that are displaying useful information, uh, and especially ones that are really dynamic. So you can basically say, like, okay, I want to see the same chart, but I want to filter it by removing these terms or adding these terms or whatever. Or where you want to say like, I want to see this over the last fifteen minutes, or I want this to be updated every minute, or I want to see this in a in a one year stretch, so I can I can watch trends and whatever. Uh, so this this uh, technology stack. Makes that super, super easy. Um, and so we've had this problem that we have to deal with, which is we can't see what's happening in our games. We can't see, like, are there crashes happening? We have no idea what the usage is on our web infrastructure. We just, like, know it's being used. We did we rip out all the Google Analytics and everything around the time yeah. that uh, GDPR hit because we were mm-hmm. like, we don't know what the fuck they're doing with people's yep. data. Yeah. And we don't want to be the one who hands it off yep. to Google, you know. And, and of course, what they're providing is super limited anyway because something something like uh, Google Analytics is only showing you basically what's happening on your web page hits, right? Right. And, and they, they can add some stuff like they can kind of track users across. They can say like, well, this user landed here and then they clicked on this and, and whatever. Um, if you if you want to do that level of sort of privacy invasion, right, then yeah. you, can, you can get down to that level. Uh, but at the end, you're still – that doesn't really inform you about things like is my website up right now, right? Right. And uh, and how much how much resource usage is is like this aspect of my site? Right. Taking so this is much more the dev back end of yeah. So you want, I like for, you want to get like really in there, yeah. you know, and just figure out what's going yeah. on. Um. So yeah. So I, I just basically watched. Uh, uh, so this is not for us to sort of like spy on people, right? It's to this understand is, what's happening to the service, right? yeah. And and so then it allows us to do things like if we wanted to to put some kind of telemetry into say like the level head campaign and try mm-hmm. to identify areas where we need to tweak something about a level because people are getting stuck on it when it's supposed to be an easy one right. or it's supposed to be a hard one and people are just blowing through it you yeah. know um, so we'll be able to sort of capture all of that information yeah so it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool I got, I got it all set up last week just for the for the rumpus stuff so I can see like what the back end is doing and already spotted some things where I was like oh that looks a little wonky and then I got to just like immediately drill into the data because it's it makes it very easy to do that um yeah so that was that thing is very cool we're gonna we're gonna be leaning on that pretty hard very hard uh, but yeah, to, to finish the answer to this to, to this question which is about you know what what are we using for devops the final piece for this is making the actual game builds yeah and for that, we are hugely limited by game makers' lack of any tooling whatsoever for automated builds. Um, so I won't go into any details here either because it's just details. And um, but but between me and Sure and some open source uh, projects that some people have worked on, um, we have constructed what we call the game pipe, which is a fairly hacked together, but not like in a terrible way. But it's a fairly hacked together thing because it has to be. Uh, of of this sort of there's just weird tooling that talks to our what talks to Rumpus, um, but that otherwise lives on local machines inside of our office because we can't we can't 
build stuff in the cloud with game maker. There's not a mechanism for that. Um, and it has to be on windows, but then we have to be able to build to Mac, Mac devices because you can't build for Mac on windows. Right. And so we have these kinds of weird conditions around us we need, where we need several local machines all tethered together in various yeah. ways. Yeah. And I, and I will say we, we could be using something because like, because something like Jenkins or puppet or chef, which is just a bunch of versions of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, demon names, a bunch of demons, right? All these, these demons. Yeah. These, these sorts of things we could be, absolutely using to like to help us right basically manage those instructions for how things are supposed to work the problem with any of those sorts of pieces of tech of course is that you have to learn that piece of tech before you can use it and i have i've used a few of them a long time ago and found them super fucking confusing because at the time i was doing it i didn't have enough of a grasp of like how to even think about the problems and and then by the time now when i've needed those things again there was actually always something that was just more accessible um and not not a generic tooling necessarily but so in the case of the game pipe um, yeah, we could have come up with some sort of a Jenkins based approach probably. Uh, but I have no concept in my brain whatsoever for what that would look like because I don't use Jenkins ever. And I knew like, all I could know is that I could probably use it. Right. right. But that's not, that's not a problem solving technique. Uh, but what I do know is node and I do know how to make things talk to the internet. Um, and I already have a website that can store and manage information. And so, so we didn't we didn't need to do yeah, that. Right? We can build our own our own tooling, and then our tooling can work exactly the way that we want it to. Yeah. Um, and I think like so yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's it's kind of an interesting problem where if people people who are doing DevOps, they're almost always using some sort of a build server that is is Jenkins or or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and they get to know these tools really well. Um, and there's of course enormous value in that, uh, but I, but you just don't need that stuff. Yeah, sometimes it's too heavy-handed, you know? You just yeah. need elbow grease. You just need something. You just – And six machines all in your office <laughs> right. tied together with duct tape and cables. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you just – That's all you need. Something is better than nothing, you know? Yep. Um, yeah, and I think if we were doing a lot – if we had a lot more kind, different kinds of software going and a lot more different web projects and other kinds of stuff, then that would be the time when we would start to like maybe look into these other kinds of technologies. Um, but for the most part, like for, for our web stuff, I've, I've already developed a my own system for – being able to deploy any new web project into this same auto building pipeline mm-hmm. uh, without having to use any of these other pieces of tech. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think it's all, it's all doable without it, but, uh, but there, there's a lot to, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of DevOps people who know the shit out of like all these kinds all of the demons. Yeah. All the demons. And Demon I kind of wish I knew those things, but then I also don't need to. So it's fine. You will. When we you all wish to. we knew everything. Yeah. Yeah. Now. All right, we got time for one last quick one from Sean. Sean says, when you come across a problem that is difficult to solve, how does it affect your motivation? Does it do anything to your confidence level? This can refer to a recent or a more dated experience. I feel this can contribute quickly to burnout. What's your strategy to persevere through a difficult problem without letting it hinder your quality and efficiency of work? Mm. So I'll talk about this in the context of drawn faces because that's one of the most obvious ones where if you do it wrong, it's just very hideous. People are like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, if so – when I start working on something like that, where I know I'm coming into something that is essentially hard or difficult in some way, um, if I take the approach where I just like try to bang it out and then and then don't have a structure in place to sort of try to graduate my skills along or my effort along, then I do genuinely have a bad time. Within like two or three of these hideous faces that I'm rendering, that do not look like the face I'm trying to draw. Of course, like it's very dispiriting, you know, whatever. Um, but if you step back and say, okay, maybe instead of trying to draw the whole face at once, um, let's just see if we can like nail the head shape. Just try the head shape of these things a few times. So you can get the proportions right, you know. And so you basically take the what is the huge hard problem and break it down a bunch into 
the actual smaller subproblems because usually it's the case that there are there's a progression of these subproblems that you can kind of layer up as you solve in a way that makes it much easier to actually accomplish the whole thing. And that helps you keep the momentum, I think, in place. Otherwise, yeah, it's just too fucking hard because you're you're just you're trying to do too much simultaneously. And usually that means you're stretching yourself, your skills in many directions also simultaneously. Right. Which is not good. Well, and you often especially if you're tackling a hard problem, um, it often the hard the hard aspects of it often exist in lots of dimensions at once. Yes. And so if you just go after the whole problem at one go, um, then you're now struggling to do a whole bunch of things that you don't mm-hmm. understand or know what you're doing. And so, so right now I'm rebuilding the the feedback system um, for uh, for our games and for Rumpus, and and so I'm, I'm running into the similar thing where it's just like, okay, I need it. I need a feedback system. That's the problem, right? Uh, but that's like ninety problems. But that's a lot of problems. <laughs> and then and one of the ones that came up very clearly was that we need a way to allow people to upload content, upload you know mm-hmm. files or images or whatever. Uh, and of course, that comes with a huge set of of interesting and difficult problems that I've not had to solve yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then there's like comments or another thing, right? We want, we want people to be able to comment on feedback and that, it, that creates another set of problems. And so, uh, so historically what I would have done for this is just kind of like spent probably a whole day, like just draft, like writing by hand, just like trying to drawing out some maps of like what this thing could look like and what the tech would need to be writing out sort of, here's what I think the problems are. And just doing a lot of just thinking and, and trying, and then trying to create the whole solution that I would then just go sit down and, and start just tackling. And and with that, I would always find both on the design side and on the implementation side, a lot of just initial listlessness, you know, yeah. where I would sit down to do it and I would just kind of find myself, my thoughts drifting, you know, because yeah. what, what you're trying to do is, is too, too big, not actually a, a task. Yeah. yeah. You're trying to do a project. Yeah. You're trying to do a project in one go. Yeah. And so, so I've been trying to do a better job and it's, it's, it's a hard, it's still a, it's a hard switch to make, but it's also a hard thing to do. Well, which it's, is it's to, a skill in and of itself. Is yeah, to, it's to, to break down break a problem. Down. Yeah. And so, so I was practicing that with uh, with this feedback system where I had just ask, you know, what's what is the and this, this whole focus from you know from DevOps on your on your minimum deliverable thing that that does something right. It's not not necessarily getting the whole job done, and actually probably not getting even most of the job done, but getting something done because now you have something that you can iterate on, and iterating on for design and for development so much is easier. way easier yeah. than you know. Coming from coming out from from scratch with uh, from nothing. And what you find what you'll find is your initial design was simultaneously too big yeah. in the wrong areas, and you missed a bunch of stuff in a lot of other areas. Yep. You know. Yeah. So, and especially for at least I find this for web tech, um, I'm so paranoid about performance and security that that those two aspects of any sort of new feature that that we want to add become like just baked into every sort of problem that i'm trying to solve uh, with it that, that adds a huge layer huge layers of, mm-hmm. of complication and and uh but both of these are actually you know uh too early of optimization issues yeah. right yeah. because you need to get it working before opt- before performance becomes a problem yeah right? and, and before <laughs> right. it's not gonna perform at all yeah. if it doesn't exist because right. well, <laughs> we have issues like with oh, how are we gonna moderate this content and whatever it's like well if not a lot of people are using it we don't even need to moderate it because we can do it by hand right uh so i don't necessarily need a moderation system right out of the get-go right um, and same with uploads, like, well, you know, if we have uploads, we have to be able to moderate images now. Um, but you know, we don't necessarily need that right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, so there's some stuff where you, can, you have to try to figure out like, what, what can I deliver that gets the job done? And then I can figure out how to solve. I, it's still important to be aware of those other problems. And I, I just have an ever growing list of all the things I'm like, these will have to get solved. Definitely. Yeah. And so, so that way when I'm doing the work now, I can still, I can still use those pieces, uh, as I'm thinking about how I'm going to solve it, so I don't make my future life harder 
but I otherwise don't use them. I don't actually use right. them, make those into my design. We want to talk about this in the context of uh, level design too, because this idea of these just working in layers essentially. Yeah. Um, so my my system now for making the levels so, for and you've made how many levels now for level head? Uh, Sixty five for the campaign. And there's even more coming, and then a bunch of other ones. Yeah. And so you also made like two other campaigns. I did. Prior. That's true. So <laughs> probably like a hundred ish, at least a hundred. Um, but what's become very clear is that you can't do. You can't do the whole level, quote unquote, as it will be fi- experienced sort of in its final form in one go. Like you can't simultaneously be doing all of those things. So usually what I do is is first I just lay in essentially what the player's movement is going to be through the level along with the basic hazards. Mm-hmm. And then uh, depending on the idea or the story behind the level, then I'll throw in whatever the enemies and the sort of moving stuff, and the switches, like all that more complicated stuff. And then actually after that, I basically do a beautification pass where I just go through right. and kind of like – Make things sculpted a bit, sculpted a little bit, and yeah. then put little backdrop tiles in places to make things pop and that sort of thing. And then I go put coins in, and then I go put right, secrets once in. You know, like the the path that the player will take, you can exactly. use the coins yeah. to guide them. And the whole time, you, just, you can't design all that at once. Yeah, you can't do all of it at once. And I think it, it becomes very clear in certain contexts that that's just true about yeah. life and about how humans operate. But I think in other ways, it's really easy to lose sight of that fact, where it's like you actually you just need to be working in these layers. So figure out what the layers are, and then start at the very bottom one and start working your way up. Yeah, yeah. So how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually one of those things about working with a technology stack also. Because mm-hmm. um, for the web tech, uh, you know, I can build an API backend and I need to build a front end uh, UI for people to use it to right. talk to it. Um, but those are actually separate things. And so so when I'm doing layers, there's sort of a natural layer barrier there where I can mm-hmm. be like, okay, cool. I'm going to like solve the API part first. You right. know, and, then, and then move on. And then piece. once that's done, it is tested and it all works, then I can move on to making a UI for it. And mm-hmm. then once that's done, I can worry about now how is the user going to get to this and experience it. And then I can deal with, okay, now what kind of security vulnerabilities does it create now that this exists the way that it is and that right. the front end exists this way and whatever. Um, yeah, so some things have a, have a more natural way of breaking them down. But even still, like you're, I think you're – gut way of wanting to solve it is to do it all at once. No I think it's because you, you experience things all at once. Yeah. You build things layer you by tiny, layer. Tiny, tiny yeah. pieces. You build so, things one step at a time. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's that, that difference between those. And this might also relate to that game design question from earlier about like, you know, your first couple of games, knowing if they're good or bad. Like it might be also the case that you run into that issue where you're experiencing the whole thing, you know, at once when you're getting these finished products from other people, which mm-hmm. are always spectacular. And then, you go build your own and it's just like it's currently in a state of just being kind of fucked up because that's the layer you're on right yeah, now. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like it every game be, yeah. is just built out of thousands and thousands of small decisions. Yeah. yeah. But that also gives you opportunity decisions. then to when you're doing your design work is if you're focusing on one particular layer, you can still have components of the other layers in there, especially if they're required. Mm-hmm. Um, but where you didn't take a lot of time to make those things perfect and super good, yes. it's just you have enough there that it's all coherent. So that's you know, the whole idea of, of gray boxing. Mm-hmm. Um, art assets and even prototyping so yeah, prototyping yeah because if if you're if you're as you're making your game if you're trying to solve all the programming problems and all the art problems and all the music problems just all the problems all at the same time and level design problems right uh then you're basically gonna just have a shitty thing for a really long time mm-hmm. because you because you can't solve them all at once and so you're just solving them all slowly right <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's the conversation we had in the office where it's like for the longest time level head has been in that spot where everything is like 80 percent done yeah. Like every part it's of the good. game. The whole thing is good. The whole thing is good. Yeah. And there's like – there's still – every every single piece of the game has this extra mm-hmm. chunk of polish and debugging and yep. security yep. features and like all these things that it needs. And and we can we can play it internally and 
if we all sat down like right after the, we recorded the podcast, we could all spend the entire week playing level head. Yep. That's just how much how much the game offers, right? But that doesn't mean we could hand it to somebody else <laughs> yeah. uh, because of the implications of all that yep. stuff, right? So it's it's internally fine, but externally it needs some work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so try not to get overwhelmed. Tackle things one little piece at a time. Focus on what you are doing and not on the final end uh, outcome. You know, get there. All right, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have merch, links to the community Discord, uh, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.